and welcome to the Church Society podcast. This is our weekly conversation about all the uh, events and issues that are in the news at the moment. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube, you can listen to us on Spotify or iTunes or whatever your favourite podcast provider is and you can find the archive of all our previous episodes at the Church Society website. It is not the easiest thing to find on the Church Society website, I'm just going to tell you that now. <laughs> uh, but, but if you look uh, at the top of the page, underneath the kind of buttons and the headers, there's a little row of icons. There's the Facebook icon and the Twitter icon, and there's a little icon that's a pair of headphones, and that is the podcast archive. Um, good, so if you want to find a particular episode, for example, that would be a good place to go and look. Um, I just wanted to let regular uh, listeners of the podcast know uh, Phil Hobbs, who was our guest a couple of weeks ago. Phil Hobbs got married on Saturday. Hooray! So he was here uh, talking about how lockdown had meant that he had to postpone his wedding. Uh, He is now married. And brilliantly, uh, you can go and look at a video of his wedding on the BBC website. Um, So there's a really fun little thing. You can see his beautiful wife, Beth. Um, and you can see their socially distanced uh, wedding and the vicar talking about all the precautions they had to take with the rings and the confetti and all of that kind of stuff. So congratulations to Phil. We're very pleased uh, that that has worked out uh, without too much of a delay. This week, I am joined by uh, James Carey. Welcome back to the podcast, uh, James. Uh, and welcome to the podcast, Claire Hendry. Um, Claire, it's your first time uh, here, so tell us just a little bit who you are, what you do, who have you been in lockdown Okay, with? I've been in lockdown with my husband and son. So this, my son has just gone back to work. He's been furloughed. And my daughter joined us, so she's just about, she's been on uh, sort of working from here, but about to go back to south of the river. So that's been fun, being a family again. Um, I'm honorary assistant minister at Grace Church, Muswell Hill. So do various things, including women's work. Used to be at St. James, Muswell Hill as minister of pastoral care. And I think we first met at Oak Hill, so where I was a lecturer about 19 years back in the dark ages. Yeah, a long time ago. So, yeah. <laughs> it was 1986 I started. I can't believe that. I was obviously a child lecturer. Goodness me. Well, it wasn't quite that long ago when I was there, but but nonetheless, no. <laughs> uh, it's been a while. Good. And um, well, we're glad to have you with us this week, Claire, because one of the things we're going to talk about is the news that came out last week, which was certainly news to me, although obviously some people knew about it. It's obviously been in the works for a while, of a new theological college uh, that is going to be launched in the northwest of England and also the Isle of Man. So it is six dioceses that have got together. It's going to be combining the sort of three existing uh, theological education providers in the in the area. So they've got uh, St Melitus in, in Liverpool and then there's a couple of uh, part-time courses uh, elsewhere. It's going to be non-residential but you can study full-time as well as part-time and they've got big ambitions they are aiming for up to 250 students at this new college um i read an interview with emma Ineson, bishop emma Ineson, who's one of the, the people behind this and she used the phrase pop-up theological college um which is not something i've i've heard of before but i think what it's trying to get at is the idea that 
they will be teaching uh, at a distance. I guess a lot of that will be online, but also that they will have sort of in-person events in different locations around the region in that sort of pop-up uh, thing uh, every so often. Claire, is that something, um, just tell us, you said you taught at Oak Hill, but you've also taught in, in other places as well. Um, yeah, so uh, most of my teaching and uh, when I was on the staff with the Oak Hill full time and then when I had family part time, um, during that time in the beginning, in the sort of 80s, early 90s, uh, Oak Hill had a part time course. So we had uh, mainly people going for what is now SSMs, but NSMs those days, but some for various reasons, uh, training as non-stipendary, as stipendary um, folk. And... Uh, so I was senior tutor on that. I uh, was tutor to uh, a sort of fellowship group leader of some of those students. So I've had the mix of training part-time and full-time, mm -hmm. so non-residential and residential. Um, reflecting back on it, I mean, things have changed a lot since then. I think I would still say that the residential, those are the students that I got to know the best. I think in terms of, you know, we might talk about ministerial formation a bit later on, but looking at what are we just training them for, not only just the, you know, the sort of the skills and the content, the Bible, um, apologetics and all those things, which are vitally important, but in looking at their characters, you know, the, it, we've talked a lot about sort of uh, spiritual formation when you get sort of... Uh, um, inspected by uh, the bishops inspectors and things like that then they're very hot on that and still and rightly so I think it's a lot harder when you don't see people very much and when you don't see them in communities so I think there are some disadvantages mm. um, so because even I think we presumably the, the yeah. part-time course when you were teaching about that people still had to come and be physically in the same space even if it was only once a week or you know for yeah yeah, so they did that. And actually, that's quite costly. So I could see why you want to sometimes do Zoom thing. And particularly in London, you know, people were much nearer or they they may be the other side of London, but work in London. So to pop up to Oak Hill was fine. So there are reasons why using some technology is good. But I'm just very struck by the students who they say so they would come up Tuesday evenings during term. We would have occasional long weekends and they would come up Friday night, go back Sunday. And that was always much you know, more fun because you could see each other more. And then you had a, a week's summer school and they just loved that time together. It never a place just diving in on a Tuesday evening and then having to leave pretty quickly. You didn't have the chance to talk, to build those relationships. Mm. Yeah, so, um, James, I'm interested, because you, your first degree was in theology, wasn't it? I say your first degree. I don't, I, My degree. Your degree was in theology, wasn't it? Um, as, a, as a sort of undergraduate. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a different thing, isn't it, from training and preparing for, for ministry? It was... It was really interesting, but of course, it, I was an undergraduate, and and it's only and when you're my age you realise that education is wasted on the young. I would I would give anything to spend three years reading books, um, and going back uh, and making full use of that. And I spent most of my time um, missing lectures and writing uh, sketches for the University Review, uh, which yeah, you know, but I was president of for a couple a of years, and that's so. Not entirely. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. So that that was my 
that was my my formation uh, in terms of vocation, certainly. So my academic degree was slightly neither here nor there. Um, obviously, there were people at Cranmer when I was there. I was, either, I was at the University of Durham, and it's a good theology department as well, the academic theology department. Uh, and it, it felt like that. And I, I think still now there was a relatively happy relationship between the, the academic theological department and the uh, and the theological uh, college. But um, but just going back to the so I think I totally get when people say, um, you know, it's a shame that it's not residential or people can't do this, can't do that. The idea that even if I wanted to be a non-stipendary minister, it's like, do you want to go to this place for two years? Stop what you're doing. Go there. Do that. It's like, no, no, I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even think about it. Um, and so for lots of people and, and I and I'm relatively contrary and would happily up sticks and go and do it but if you've got if you're caring for relatives if you're stuck in your if if you're serving your community the idea that you can just up sticks and go off somewhere it yeah. actually seems rather it's selfish it's very costly and i mean it's one of the things why yeah. um you know when when i'm having a slightly different conversation about people in lay ministry and and women particularly mm. i don't know of a single woman who has gone to theological college and her family have moved to support her to do that. It, it is a thing that, right. that, that men training for ministry happens on a fairly regular basis. But you're right. And certainly the older you get and the, the more family you have and, and the more responsibilities you have in other ways, mm. the more difficult that is to do. Um, and I'm, I'm encouraged, Claire, to see you say that, that that has happened for women. But it's Yeah, it's I can't think of it one. No. Yeah. Once, yeah, yes, exactly. We have one. And so, yeah. you know, the idea of making training in a way that is more flexible and more accessible uh, and more affordable is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, that's sort of the principle behind the Priscilla program that, that I do is how can we make it as flexible and accessible and affordable as we possibly can? But, but there is something that is potentially lost in that. And I think we've sort of been talking around the, this question that the point that preparing people for ministry isn't just about teaching them theology or teaching them how to preach or teaching them whatever those kind of skills are that, that they might lead. And if we look at what the Bible says about qualifications for ministry, it's not very much about skills. It's not nothing about skills, but, but it's not very much about skills. And I wonder... Do we think that our, our sort of general system of theological education is really focusing in the right sort of ways on what people need to be good ministers um, and shepherds of the flock? I, I don't know. I mean, I was just looking. Uh, I was involved in doing a seminar with my vicar uh, for another group of students and things. And uh, we were looking at women and men's ministry. And so one of the things we looked at was Titus. And uh, I think Philip sort of particularly focused and uh, highlighted how much. So it, it, do, it does say you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You know, we need to know our Bibles. We need to know a bit of church history. We need to obviously understand the people that we're reaching out to, the apologetics, all of that. But actually, when you look at those first few verses in Titus 2, it's so much about uh, teaching older men to be temperate, worthy respect, self-control, sound in faith, in love and endurance. And then, you know, likewise, teach the old women to be reverent in the way they live, 
not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good and so on. So actually, and I think that's that obviously is not the only passage you could turn to. It's the character. It's, you know, where I've seen ministry that goes well in whatever circumstances it is about the godliness of the person, not that they're perfect. None of us are. We're always learning. But where where are they really servant hearted? Uh, what is their character like? Do they are they seeking to grow and learn and, you know, be, become more Christ like as much as they're you know, what they're teaching their um, congregation? Bishop um, Bishop Emma Einstein, who is behind uh, this theological college, she wrote an excellent book called Ambition, which I can recommend. And I, I spoke to her about it. And in a way, the other thing is that we 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 have odd ways of measuring success. And so in a way, you know, we always want to get away from ministry being a numbers game. To say that it isn't ever a numbers game is is dishonest and not particularly helpful. But equally, you know, if we if we look at ministry and say, is this ministry successful, the, the primary evaluator of the ministry in a way should be, uh, is the minister godly? <laughs> that was, and, and actually, when you just when you see ministry going horribly wrong and we we all then discover that for the last two to 12 years, there has been a pattern of this or that. Um, and it, yeah, it's so horrible. I, think so. I, I was just thinking how how this relates to what the sort of current ongoing series of breaking scandals in the Church of England. And, and I don't think it's always just about the really scandalous behaviour. It's not always just about the things that hit the headlines. But if it's an ongoing pattern of petty dishonesty or stirring up gossip or being a bit lazy or whatever it is all of those things have a detrimental effect on a person's ministry um and a detrimental effect on the church and and i i don't know how we do this better but i do think our current system isn't well placed to really be raising up people who are godly to be leaders so even for example um, you know, Claire, you mentioned the list in Titus too, but the, the list in um, 1 Timothy are very keen on, on the person being able to manage their own household. Now, our whole process excludes and, and precludes you from asking even about somebody's family and let alone knowing in depth how, how their household um, manages. You know, you're interviewing somebody on a selection conference or for a a place at a theological college or even later down the road to be a curate or an incumbent you're not even supposed to ask whether their spouse is a christian for example or you know a person giving a reference can't tell you well actually this is what their family life is like so how do we how do we make those judgments and yeah mm. can i ask um the other i think that's really excellent what you've just raised there and it's it's very worrying if those are the criteria which which are unbiblical if that is the criteria i mean the the other awful truth is that even before lockdown um i had a you know with my you know general synod hat on um i ended up having a conversation with somebody very senior in directing ministry in the church of england and they 
there's this great ambition to, you know, growth follows staff. We're going to have more and more staff, more and more ordained clergy, more and more ordained clergy. Well, even in January, it was known that the number of people who were being trained for ministry was going up and the number of jobs available was going was going down. That's just been probably moved forward at least two years. And so, yeah. So, I mean, short of uh, seismic reorganisation of the Church of England, which I think is probably both necessary and will only be done with kicking and screaming and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Um, the, um, the, the reality is that you think, you know, are we training people for ministry? You could say, yeah. what ministry? So I do think, I mean, that 250, I imagine... I, and again, I've not seen all the this on this. I imagine that will include people being trained for reader ministry. Um, it may include people being trained for um, other kinds of ministry as well. I don't know that necessarily they're thinking that's 250 ordinands. I think that would be, you know, you'd, you'd look at that and you'd say, I mean, you're, ma- you're making that up if that's what they think. But I, I'm sure they are anticipating, a, you know, a proportion of those would be ordinands. And... Yeah, I, th- I think there is, there is a real question there, and certainly it's one that, that um, I've seen people at that sort of beginning stage of the process asking, why should I even consider going for ordination in the Church of England when it seems likely that there won't be a job at the end of that process? And, I mean, you'd like to think someone had done some joined up thinking about that, but I'm pretty certain they haven't. So, <laughs> would be a nice thought. No. So, yeah. Well, in a way, I mean, the, the Church of England, the Church of England actively did do some thinking about this, which is we are not going to own any theological colleges. Uh, so, and therefore they have to be prepared for theological colleges to stand or fall. And yeah, exactly. one has fallen and one has been, uh, has been wobbling quite seriously. So in a way, you know, I'm fairly comfortable with the concept of creative destruction, even though it stinks. And so if you're part of it, and so some theological colleges will will uh, will decline uh, and others won't. The problem comes when you start bailing them out and then you you end up with an oversupply of theological education. Yes. I, I mean, I think one of the big issues is around um, diocese. What's diocese responsibility and what's sort of central so you know dioceses are responsible for paying for uh, ordinance to go through training um, and potentially have the opportunity to employ them when they come back as curates but actually sending you know there are some dioceses which naturally send a lot more like London yeah exactly and yeah. some which mm. which don't tend to send very many but still need some to come back and so if it's diocese, and you know, this is a college that's being put together by six dioceses, I just don't know that, yeah, the, the, the people kind of making the decisions at the beginning of the process really are in, this, in the place to kind of make good decisions about what's needed at the end of the process. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, that's one of the things, obviously one of the big impulses behind this is that there, there isn't a good theological education provision in the Northwest. And it, and if you look at the list of training institutions and particularly colleges, they are very weighted towards the southeast. There's and obviously there's Cranmer up in Durham and there's Trinity over in Bristol, but the bulk of it is all in the southeast and there's there's not really uh, a lot there. So you know maybe they're hoping we'll send more locally, we'll get more to come back locally, we'll meet our needs in a better way. Anyway, 
it well much to be seen and it was i was very interested because it was not an announcement i had anticipated that was coming and i will be interested to see how it develops um further one of the things as we mentioned with the new college the new college is um that it, it seems likely that they're, they're planning to do quite a lot of their teaching online and obviously uh, this is the thing that in the last few months we have all uh, i mean some of us probably spent you know a lot of our waking hours online anyway perhaps but it feels like we've all spent even more time online uh, than previously and and particularly churches we've seen um embracing the digital age in a in a very new way in the last few months a lot of clergy have suddenly upskilled in all kinds of things that they never thought they would have to do and I just wonder as we think about that and particularly obviously as we're at the stage of, of beginning to move back into some kind of physical space as well how has that experience of increased technology been Claire how have you found it at your <laughs> church has it been a, a positive exciting thing or a frustrating <sighs> difficult thing oh the positive exciting thing is that I don't have to do too much of it apart from some <laughs> zoom meetings and things like that um I I have had to get my a grip on zoom because I do a bit of counseling as uh, on a sideline as a private uh, thing and uh, also just you know doing bible study and things Philip uh the vicar is uh, has been on a good steep learning curve but he's you know he is good technically he's technically minded so it is he's done a brilliant job but it is taking lots of time and um, so that takes away from other ministry but you know if you don't have the technology to do a service to do the zoom meetings and things you're also not being able to do ministry he's just now starting to train up more people in our congregation to help him to do bits of it so you know the people i've talked to sort of peers um ministry they range from people who've got you know doing all singing or dancing fantastic things which kind of almost feel like a bit performance and I think that can be a downside to other people who can just about record a sermon and send it out and so I think you know you do what you can and I think there is a danger that we then start it's about a bit what James was saying about the numbers game it can be a bit you know who's got the plushest thing so I just you know I've been trying to encourage those who can only do recording which I probably wouldn't even be able to do that um and to just, you know, rejoice that at least they can do that. Yes. Um, James, you always strike me as somebody who is an enthusiastic uh, adopter of, of technology and didn't have to be pushed into it uh, by a global pandemic. Mm. Um, has this period of time, um, have you noticed some of the, the sort of limits and, and constrictions of uh yeah, interacting in this yeah. and working in this kind of way, has that become evident? Well, I mean, apart from my own personal, you know, I've been getting some pretty serious cabin fever in my office from which I'm speaking. I think on Thursday afternoon last week, I was just like, I don't care where I am, just not in there. Yeah. Um, and also staring at screens a lot in the day, which, you know, as a writer, I do that quite a lot and anyway. And you work from home normally anyway. And I work from home, yeah. But even but, then... Yeah. But what it's meant was, it's like, oh, it's our church prayer meeting on Zoom. And it's just like, I'm not I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not going to. I just I don't have the mental energy to get through another Zoom meeting, um, especially a really important one about praying. 
Um, yes, I, so... I definitely have felt that. There's a sort of, you know, I have used Zoom for a while. It's what we do with Priscilla. It's not a new mm. thing to me, but but there's definitely a capacity limit with it yeah. that is at a different level than in-person meetings, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. And, and also, I've, I've therefore embraced quite a few more meetings recently. I've just had on the telephone. Yes, I've gone uh, back to phone and with friends as well, actually, sometimes, you know, it's just yeah. like, let's, let's not do it on Zoom. Let's just, yeah. yeah. It's a good old, good old telephone. Um, and my wife has been writing one or two actual letters as well. Nice. You know, with a, there's a, there's a thing, there's, I don't know if you've seen this, there's a thing called a pen. Ah. And what you do is like that. And then you find a piece of paper <laughs> And it actually makes marks Golly. on the paper. And then what do you and do you can, if you go wrong? Can you just delete the pen? You just cross it out. Okay. And then, what, and you know, then next? you can put them into folders. Oh. Yeah, it's exactly. And then you send them. It's like an email, but like paper. Wow. And I do think that's a really important thing, though. I think we've all suddenly, well, I certainly have suddenly kind of re-evaluated how important the physical is. Yeah. And I think in church, we've, we've noticed that the kind of physical being with each other, but also the physicality of the sacraments. And, you mm. know, I know there's people have been trying to do all kinds of stuff mm. that sort of, you know, yes, we can do virtual sacraments. Or and you can't. Yeah. The whole no. point about them is that they are tangible and edible. And, and you're together. Yeah. yeah. And you're yeah. physically together. Yeah. And I think one of the other things is so. I do sort of Wednesdays is a sort of counselling day and you can, or even though you're face to face, it's a much more intense. It is so draining. It's harder than face to face. You don't pick up the same things. And I think also, um, I think Philip was saying that, you know, w- when you're up front or even just walking past people in the church, you pick things up when that, you know, they don't look so happy. They look a bit cross or, you know, and then you can, follow them up afterwards or when you're standing up so whether I'm singing or leading you know I look around and I can see people I can see someone in tears there and you know either making sure sort of that someone else is going there or I'll pick it up afterwards you don't have that thing and it's also it's the little chats before and after meetings so meetings can become very functional very efficient which is, you know, there are times when that's a good thing. But actually, sometimes a lot of our meetings, we need to have the relational bit, the cough, the chat as you're settling, getting your papers together, the chat afterwards if there's been a slightly difficult decision, you know, in a church council or a finance meeting, um, and you can smooth things over. You just, brilliant as Zoom is, you can't do that. I mean, the good... The good thing we've had is there's a lady who we send service sheets to, but she can't actually get to the church. She now on Zoom has been able Mm. to see people. So, yes, there's definitely things in which it has opened up uh, the church in really positive and and good and exciting ways. I mean, I've mentioned before on the podcast, but at my church, we had been live streaming to Facebook for for a little while before lockdown um, began for various reasons. And, you know, it is a wonderful thing for people who are unable to physically be present to to be present in a in a much better way uh, than elsewhere. But but it is not the same. And I just wonder how much whether you, whether there are ways in which you've noticed this happening that using the technology has changed or shaped in some way 
the the kind of the kind of meetings that you have or the kind of relationships that you have or the kind of way we feel about people I just it's not a neutral thing is it technology it doesn't yeah it's it's not just nothing it it will maybe in ways that we haven't noticed but it but I wonder if there are ways you have noticed that it has been changing the nature of those interactions for me I think I mean in a one in some ways it is less personal because you're not there in person but in another way you're in their home where you wouldn't have done previously so I don't know if you can imagine having you know for lots of people the idea of essentially having a work meeting around your own kitchen table with the possibility of one of your children walking in and demanding attention or food or, or a meal or something um in a way I think that's yeah I think that's, it's really that's very healthy yeah yeah I, I mean and, and so our you know I, I've become really interested even more so in, in history than ever before, partly because the present isn't isn't terribly appetising. But, um, of course, previously, centuries ago, you would work at home, you would either work in the fields, or you would, if you were an artisan, you would live above the shop, you would work, you know, your, your wife would work, your children would work on the same thing, they'd also be spinning yarn or doing whatever it is. Um, and then suddenly we kind of invented the office, and then suddenly everyone just puts on a suit and puts on some kind of game face and goes off and becomes this other person. And actually, this is, I think, in a healthy way. mixed. And I, I just think there will be, although I think, you know, we still really haven't come to terms with the physical cost of the pandemic in terms of the actual effect of the um, of the virus, in terms of also um, long-term negative effects and stuff. But I think there have been many, many strange and interesting uh, positives that are coming from it mm. um, that we would obviously wouldn't have chosen in that way but I think that's really uh, interesting actually so I you know I've been at my church every Sunday morning but one of the quite fun things about it has been being able to kind of drop in occasionally and see what other people are doing and two of the things that I have most enjoyed have been um, worship with the Wallaces so that is uh, Mark Wallace uh, uh, one of our regional directors and his wife and their four sons uh, in their dining room doing Sunday worship there. Um, their boys are, are sort of, I'm going to say teenagers, they're not all quite teenage, but that sort of age. But also uh, Tom Wolford, uh, who's one of our church staff council members, he's been doing live from the lounge with his four daughters, of whom I think the oldest is maybe seven or eight. And, you know, live from the lounge usually begins with things like don't hit your sister and, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, children having to be manually yeah. removed from one place to the other and and but it's just delightful and it actually goes back to what we were saying earlier about the sort of seeing the minister in their home and in their family yeah. context you get a very different feel just quickly that mm. reminds me um the, the upside is i'm also involved in an organization called faith in kids and what's been interesting and i think a positive is that um it feels like if your children are at home all the time, not only are you responsible, are you realising you're responsible for their education, but also for their Christian education. And suddenly church, I mean, they, they were probably only getting half an hour at church a week anyway, but, but whatever they're getting is now less than that because of just the, the way it is. And actually, it's now kind of on you. And I think people are realising that, it. oh, it, it was always on me, was it? Um and so I, I, I do hope and pray that this will be a real shift for people in terms of 
taking responsibility for the spiritual health of their own children rather than outsourcing it to extremely able youth ministers quite often or, or churches and Sunday schools. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yes. And actually, I just wanted to go back on, on one point as well about the being in people's homes. So I was having a conversation with one of my Priscilla students this term. She and her husband moved. He's a minister. They moved to a new job the week before lockdown. So I think, I don't think they had any Sundays in church. So, you know, and he was responsible for pastoral care in the congregation. And so I said, well, you know, what have you been doing? And she said, actually, it's been brilliant. What we have done is we have had Zoom conversations with every couple in the church for an hour in their home. They've seen our home. We've seen their home in a way that we just wouldn't have been able to. It might have felt weird to some of them, you know, if we just said, can we invite ourselves around? But nobody's found it weird. And when we've, you know, and what an amazing way to start your ministry in a place, getting to, to kind of just have that sort of um, experience of, of being in each other's homes like that. Anyway, good. Well, very interesting. And as you say, lots that we will need to uh, see how it um, unravels uh, in the future as we go forward. Um, uh, we were going to talk about the reason technology was on my mind this week is I got an iPad last week. Um, it's it's the first time I've owned an Apple product, although I did have a work iPhone a few years ago. It's just really pretty. It's rose gold, and it, it's just it's. <laughs> I really love Go it. Go and show and, us. Um, I haven't got it here. Actually, oh. it's at home, and I'm back in my office for the first time this week. It's very exciting. I got an Apple Pencil, yeah, which is the best thing. And actually, I've been sort of on the on the fence about getting one for ages and ages and ages. And then the reason I really wanted to get one was to be able to do more digital art. And I thought, actually, if I get the Apple Pencil, then that would be amazing. So anyway, all my recommendations this week are um, uh, apps that I've been wasting my time on in the last week. And um, I want to recommend uh, one called Sticky Terms, which is a kind of combination between like a jigsaw and a word puzzle. And it's um, it's weird foreign words for, you know, really obscure and specific things broken up into the constituent parts and you have to work out the, the puzzle and put them back together and then it tells you what the word means. And it's just, it's really beautifully put together and there's another app by the same developer called song of the bloom which again is just it's like a puzzle kind of mystery sort of thing but just yeah just delightful so those are my my two that i've been really enjoying and um i also wanted to have a mention for a thing which i've not read uh, but i read an article about which is a book called ghost ship which is a book about institutional racism in the Church of England. Um, and I will put a link to the interview with the author that was in yesterday's Observer uh, about that, because even just the opening anecdote was enough to make my jaw drop. So I will be reading that and I will see uh, whether I want to recommend the book as a whole, but I certainly would recommend that article. Uh, Claire, what have you got? What have I got? Well, this is a, a very old thing, really, but Lord of the Rings. I have never read it. And I have never watched it. And my daughter bought up the um, the full trilogy. So we've, over about three weeks, we looked at nine hours of it. It's great. I really got into it. So Okay, so that, you've watched the films. Are you not recommending the book? Well, I know. I might now read the book. And I think, actually, I might. I had to keep saying to Kate, well, who's that and who's that? So she, helped, she had seen it before. So that's my film. I haven't watched lots of television. And I'm normally, that's my unwind. But I think... You know, you're on a screen so much. 
Um, I've had exactly that experience. Yeah, and also there's just nothing that good, even with Netflix and things. So um, my, I've just been re um, sort of getting used to sort of reacquainting myself with some of the sort of skills, crafts and sewing and gardening. But the book that I read and we then I've read it before and I just think he's a fabulous writer. Um, and we then did it as a, a book group. So I'd ne- I've done secular book groups, but this was with our church and it it was I think it's really good is Ed Welsh. So the W.E.L.C.H. Side by side um, and then sort of subtitle walking with others in wisdom and love. And it's just a lovely thing about how, you know, how do you disciple? How do you just get alongside people that we need people? We're we're weak, fallen. We need others to help us. And how do we but how do we also then understanding ourselves uh, also then get alongside and help others? So we were just beginning to explore that in the book group. Um, Well worth reading. Very readable. Brilliant. Brilliant. I will put links to both of those. Uh, James, what have you got? In terms of uh, by apps, by the way, I've had a conversation on another podcast about, slightly counterintuitively, uh, if you have kids, it's worth considering getting Apple Arcade, which is £5 a month, uh, because the temptation is you don't want your kids playing apps, and so you refuse to buy them, and so they play free ones. Uh, the free ones aren't very good. Uh, and are and constantly full of adverts yes, as well. Yes, which are which are sometimes horrifying. Um, and actually, there are some That's really, there is, you know, there are some really good apps out there. Your kids are going to spend their lives looking at screens. So the idea that you're trying to keep them away from screens is, is, is ludicrous. Um, obviously, the, the, uh, iPads can turn kids into monsters uh, in terms of like they don't want to give them back and stuff. And that that's actually a not just kids. That's a parenting <laughs> conversation. But yeah, no, the parent parents are just as bad and, and they model terrible iPad usage. Uh, as well um, but in terms of I just think if you if you're fine with your kids using apps and wanting to be there are some really nice well-designed apps in the app and you pay five pounds a month and you get access to a hundred hundred plus games that are the sort of games where you play them for 10 15 20 minutes and then you've sort of had enough at least I have um, but I, I mean I don't really play them uh, much anyway uh, because I have social I have social media um, so, uh, but the other thing, my, my book recommendation, talking of classics, as it were, you were talking about Lord of the Rings. Um, I've actually, uh, I discovered that I'd been lent uh, by a mutual friend of ours called Mark, uh, Mark jones Parry. Um, he'd lent me his copy of Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. And I, he must have been a few years ago. And it's the first of the cosmic trilogy. And I thought, I've never read this. And I really should. So I started reading it and I read it and I really enjoyed it. It was very strange. And then I read the second one and I thought, uh, oh, this starts well. Oh, this has gone a bit weird. Oh, I don't like this. And then I had to repent of this because it was just incredible. So the second book is particularly if if the kind of if the whole idea of man's fall and Eden kind of bothers you and you just think, but surely how did that work? How did, this is an incredible dealing with that whole thing about a planet, which is sort of pre fall and how the fall can all can work or be averted and what that would have meant and that kind of stuff. So although it is hard going in the first third, it's also not a long book. Um, and I've only just started the, the third book uh, in that trilogy. So, um, mm. so yeah, so 
the, the, the cosmic trilogy, not the space trilogy. Don't call them that. That proves that you're not a fan of the books. Uh, that's, nice. you know, uh, that, that's a. Okay, so if I call it the cosmic trilogy, then I don't have to bother reading the books. I can still. Yes, or even better, call them about. the ransom trilogy. Uh, that that would be uh, better again because um, Elwyn Ransom is the um, is is the hero of of the story. So. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's been a real, real nice little surprise that I've, you know, a classic uh, that I've been enjoying, and I probably wasn't in a position to enjoy them and read them maybe ten, fifteen years ago, and I feel like I've, I'm kind of ready for them now. Great, great. Well, there we go. If you've got uh, recommendations for other iPad apps that I could be wasting my time on this summer, uh, do let me know. Um, and as always, if you have any uh, comments about the co- podcast, things you'd like us to talk about in future episodes, uh, you can always uh, tweet us at Church Society, comment on our Facebook page, or send me an email, ros at churchsociety.org. I will be back next week. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks to both of you. Bye. Bye.